the money worries you have mostly comes from your predicting the future. That means when you worry about money, you run out of money in the future, you have money trouble in the future. So you cannot have a positive future in your mind. But think about it. You know, if you have uh, no money, there may be somebody who can help you. I've interviewed many uh, billionaires and they lost everything at least three times before they achieved financial independence. So uh, you are likely to be at the state of no money, but that doesn't kill you. Worrying about no money state will kill you. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-Word. Welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. I am your host, Sean Maslick. I am delighted you are here for another fascinating conversation. For all the new listeners, welcome. And for the returning listeners, I'm glad you're back. I just finished this episode with Ken Honda, who is an international best-selling author, having sold over 8 million copies of his books since 2001. And the book that we focus on is Happy Money, the Japanese art of making peace with your money. This was a heartwarming and enlightening conversation with Ken. I have been reading Ken's work for the last five or six years, and it was a delight to speak to him in such a candid conversation. You'll hear on this episode how warm and caring Ken is. He really embodies this idea of happy money, a concept that here through this episode that really extends beyond mere currency itself. It offers a way of being that leads to an increased contentment, ease, and happiness in life. Ken's genuine and kind-hearted nature shines through as he shares insights, wisdoms, stories, and lessons about how can we cultivate more happy money in our lives, creating this positive relationship with money. We talk about what is happy money? What is unhappy money? We talk about how this extends beyond a currency. You'll hear us talk about what financial freedom is and the two key elements that Ken believes creates this idea of financial freedom and where one of them is often overlooked. We talk about why we spend based on fear or love, how we can recognize how we spend our money and start making changes if we see that's what we want to do. This conversation with Ken really had me thinking about my own relationship with money, something that I've been working on for years and how I can start to bring more happy money into my relationship with money. I encourage you all, if you haven't, to get a copy of his book, Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money. It is wonderful. It's such an enjoyable read. Also, Ken shared with me his daughter, Stella Venus has been singing in North America now, actually not far from where I live in Vancouver, Canada. We've included a link to Stella Venus's music channel on YouTube. Ken shared that 
They have both been on the stage together where Ken talks about money and she sings. As a father, I can only imagine how magical that experience would be. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Ken Honda. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sean, and thank you for the invitation. I'm very excited to be here. I am equally, if not more excited, as I've been hearing the words of your, I'll call it wisdom, for many years now as I've read your online work and your book. So I'm really excited to speak to the author that I've been following so many years. My first question, Ken, is your concept of happy money as your book, the title of your book, it really speaks to, I guess, the place I am in the journey with my relationship with money. It really touches my soul as I feel like money is a lot more than just the dollars and cents. And that's why mm-hmm. your book speaks to me and apparently the other 8 million plus who have purchased the book. <laughs> so I thought we would dive right in and just can you break down the distinction between what is happy money versus, say, unhappy money and how, if anything at all, does it have an impact on our relationship with money? So happy money is money that makes you smile and literally makes you feel, give you a good feeling. Unhappy money gives you irritated feeling when you, both when you receive, when, when you give, when you spend money or when you pay bills, you feel, ooh, and a, a bad feeling and irritated. That is unhappy money. So you can tell if it's happy money or not. And it's, it doesn't really matter how much money you make or how much money you have. It's about how you relate to money. Maybe can you take us back to, I believe it was the playground when your daughter was approaching kindergarten, when you first were introduced to this idea of if your money in your wallet was happy or not. I was at the party and then this Japanese woman approached me. She was interested in taking a look at my wallet. And at the time, there were like TV programs and magazine articles about celebrities' wallet, like equivalent to Justin Bieber what kind of wallet he has, or does he even have a wallet? Madonna, you know, or Donald Trump or whoever that is. People are like obsessed with wallets. So I thought, okay, you can take a look. And then I passed my wallet to her. And she said, is it okay to take all the bills out? And then she was checking something and she said, this is good. Oh, this is fun. This is nice. And she put them all back in and just handed uh, my wallet back to me. And she said, Ken, all your money is good. You passed the test. And I said, what? And, and she said, all your money was smiling. So that means you must have done something nice and help people. As a result, you receive money. Your money was smiling in your wallet. And I said, that's good news. And she said, on the other hand, if you are not doing what you love and get money, or if you try to uh, take advantage of other people and get money, your money is crying or angry in your wallet. So I can tell what kind of people he or she is by looking at the wallet. And I was so surprised. But later on, I thought, hmm, you know, like my uncle, definitely, he doesn't have happy money. And a friend who is uh, having a good, happy, smiling money. So you can probably tell, you know, by imagining your friends, which one has happy money, which one doesn't. Yeah, that's so interesting. And when I hear you tell that story or read it in the book, 
a part of my curiosity is peaked all the time that what made you not just dismiss this person for maybe like, whew, maybe they had a little too much coffee that morning talking about <laughs> is your bill smiling or not. Okay. But what do you think there was inside of you that really received that to be like, this is interesting. And fast forward, I think how many years from, from that day that you're still talking about this in such a meaningful manner? She did it everything very politely. About her mother, I, I had uh, uh, some trust in her. Uh, the way she talked about it and she, she, she said, oh, excuse me, I forgot to introduce myself. I'm psychic. I see things other people don't see. Everything she said sounded very persuasive. And even you don't have to believe in it, but we can probably differentiate one group from the other. You know, like definitely this guy doesn't have happy money. Or this one, you know, even though she's not wealthy, she has happy smiling money. I realized that uh, there are two categories of people, one with a smiling money, the others without. And I realized that happy money people are very generous and kind. They're doing so many good things in the world. Whereas unhappy money people are just messing out our economy, try to take advantage of other people, or just simply very unhappy. So I thought I could help people transform their relationship. So turn unhappy money into happy money. That's what I thought I could do. And that's what I've been doing for the past 20 years. Yeah, you know, I find it so fascinating that even when you said, I'm sure you can think about people who have unhappy money. Mm -hmm. I definitely could think about people or even at times the money that was coming into my wallet that I was like, ah, with this framing that I know that the energy around that money or the means to accumulate that money was what I would consider now unhappy money. And I like this framing that you said there about the psychic. You said, even though she may have not been wealthy. so. For people listening who might think like, okay, wait, I'm going to have happy money when I become financially independent. There's this you know, movement that talks about if you have enough assets to passively pay for your daily living expenses, then you will make it. But I believe there's something deeper in this idea of happy money that doesn't necessarily mean, to your point, you don't have to be wealthy or amass a lot of money per se. Is that correct? Yes. As long as you appreciate money coming and going out, your money is happy money. So even if you are making little money, but you can appreciate the fact that you have a roof over your head and food on the table, you can be smiling. So it's about the attitude. But the funny thing is the more happy money you have in your life, the happy, happy money attracts more happy money because people tend to do what they love. That brings joy in the, into their life. So the more of what you do will just bring more happy money. So I wrote a um, national bestseller called Do What You Love and Make Sure Money Will Follow. And in that, I, I just said, do what you love and then set up a system so the happy money will come into your life. So even if you have little money at the moment, as long as you turn that into happy money, you can make the flow of happy money even stronger. By doing that, you can invite more happy money into your life. Yeah, it's so interesting. And it, it reminds me of what you're saying here, a part of your book, I might get the exact wording wrong, but what you appreciate appreciates. Yes. And maybe speak to that idea, because I, I really think it, it's it's so tr simple in, in context, but so difficult, not, not difficult, but we overlook it. What I teach is very Zen, very simple and minimalism in a sense. I keep everything very simple. For example, when money comes in, 
you have a choice of appreciating, welcoming it, or just, ah, you know, frustrated it. And then, oh, I, this is not doing anything for me. Even if it's the same amount, you can have a totally different attitude. And so if your client gives you money, if you can show appreciation to your client, oh, thank you so much for the business and it really helped us. So they will just try to bring their friends, you know, because they want to see you with a happy smile. So if you show your happy attitude, that thing grows. So that's what I mean when you appreciate money. Money appreciates, that means you have more happy money. But when you get frustrated with money you have, you always create a frustrated situation. So you have to be very careful what you focus on and on life. If you focus on more appreciation side and then start counting your blessings, you attract a lot of happy things. But if you just keep complaining about what you don't have, you just somehow attract things that you have to complain about. And you know, when I, when I came across that concept, it was at a perfect time. I had found the FIRE movement, the Financially Independent Retire Early, mm-hmm. and which, you know, I think the concept is phenomenal. At least for me at that moment, I really obsessed over it because my, my money story or beliefs, and I, I, I like how you talk a lot about beliefs in your book from childhood, but my belief was I needed more money. Money was going to give me security and safety. And when I came across this fire movement, I was like, Pooh, money can't leave my, my bank account. And when it does, it's a scarcity mindset. And I'm going to not get this number that I'm so desperately trying to achieve. And I was in the scarcity mode. I, <laughs> there was no thanking money when it left my, my bank account. Instead, it was me feeling the scarcity mindset. I'm not saying this because you're on my podcast, but you really helped me reframe that to be like, whoa, 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 no. And like how you talk about the book, thanking your money when you're departing it, it really has changed my perspective of spending in a more healthy manner. And it has really helped me find out financial freedom per se is not necessarily rooted in just having this X amount of dollar in the bank account. Rather, it's this relationship I have with money so I want to switch it over to you. You talk about in your book, I think you said people want money for six different reasons. One of them is to become financially free. Can you touch on this interplay between what is financial freedom? Is it a mindset? Is it in the bank account? How does, how does Ken interpret this? I think there are two kinds of financial freedom. Uh, financial freedom in numbers and financial freedom in emotions. You know, I've seen many millionaires and who are financially independent in numbers but they're not emotionally financially free. That means if they have, say, one, one million US dollars in a bank account, they're financially free in a sense, but they feel like they need two more, two, two million more. And if you have $10 million in, in a bank account, they're financially free in numbers, but they feel like they don't have enough because all their friends have private jets and all the other you know, fun toys, and they don't, they don't. So that means they need more money to feel financially secure. So uh, you have to have two criteria. And I think uh, it takes time to secure financial freedom in numbers, but you can secure financial emotional freedom in a shorter time. So I recommend you to go for financial freedom in emotions and then start building on your financial fortress. But uh, I think... Anybody can start 
emotional freedom without much resources. Can you have financial freedom in numbers without financial freedom in emotions? And I know human nature is not as simple as a straight answer. It's just a feeling. You know, as I said, some people think, I wish I had a million dollars in my bank account. But if you had a million dollars in a bank account, your expense is a little higher too. So you feel like, no, no, this is not enough. This is way too low. So say you aim for $3 million and then you achieve $3 million, and then, ooh, you know, this is not enough. By the time you're, you get stuck in this doing more, wanting more, needing more, so even if you have $100 million in a bank account, you cannot feel financially secure because you may be the subject of lawsuits. I read an article that the guy who re- inherited from his father about $30 million, that's enough, right? But he lost a, a lot of money by investing and through bad business decisions. So he lost about $25 million. So he had only $5 million left. But wouldn't you be happy if you have $5 million in your bank account? But the, f- the fact is he committed suicide because he couldn't take the loss of $25 million. So if you just take a look at what you have, which is $5 million, okay, I lost $25 million, but still $5 million is okay. If you could feel that, you're okay. But unfortunately, uh, if you're not emotionally free, that's what gets you. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting how much this freedom lies within to like when you look outside of the 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 number side and we get programmed in a way, not programmed, but socialized to seeing a certain way of being, of accumulating and once we save. And I feel like these conversations of thanking our money and looking at it, happy money, often aren't talked about as much as they can because to your point, I like the idea that we can start doing this immediately. It doesn't have to wait until we amass a certain amount of wealth. I want to talk about the idea that you you position in the book along this spending is we often spend in fear or love. Let's imagine that we take a time machine and we go back to when you first started to recognize the profound impact that emotions like love and fear have on our decision-making. Can you walk us through how you came to connecting money and emotions on how we earn and spend, specifically around this idea of love and fear around money? Yeah, so that's why I've written so many books on how to find your gifts. So if you found your gifts and are willing to share it, certain numbers of the people will respond to it. Like say, uh, I started writing books or booklets rather, and I started giving away. So I started giving away with the third, uh, first 3,000. And then, and after that, I gave another 5,000. And by the time I gave away uh, 100,000 copies, a pub- publisher called me and I published a book and I sold about 100,000 copies. So I gave away 100,000 copies for free, but I get paid by selling 100,000 copies. So if you just share enough, you start getting more. You are willing to share what you have. For me, writing and speaking. And for me, maybe your music and also your writing uh, you, and also your speaking, your interviewing skills. So if you do more of what you do, what you love, that will attract more people. And I'm encouraging all the artists and musicians to come up with a system. So if 
people, your fans are willing to uh, pay $50 per month. And if you have more than 100 supporters, fans, you have $5,000 in your bank account every month. So you don't have to be a superstar to achieve financial independence. All you need is about 100 people who love what you do. So you have to be, you have to be surrendering with what you have. You may be attacked by your self-criticism, but and through that, you have to start sharing what you have and then people respond. Thank you for that. It, it's interesting how just the way you're talking about finding things you enjoy, and I certainly enjoy doing interviews like this. And four years ago, I was reading your book and never would I ever imagine I'd be sitting across a Zoom room or Riverside chatting to Ken Honda in this wonderful outfit and really cool wallpaper. So yeah, it's just interesting how I really started appreciating things. And even when the podcast was starting, just appreciating the the infancy stage of it. So yeah, it just comes full circle that here I am chatting with you. Yes. Before we were recording, I was letting you know that me and a music collaborator, we wrote a song, our album, and one of our songs, or yeah, one of our songs, it's called The ROI. And it's basically about the return on investment play on words, but it's actually finding peace from within. But when you talk about surrender, one of the lines are, the peaceful practice of surrender paves the way to the promised land. So just along the lines of your saying, just surrendering to this calling or surrendering to whatever our own desires are, you know, it's, it's courageous to do it, but it often leads to wonderful places. So I, I appreciate all the writing you've done on finding what you do or finding what you love and doing that. I think what we've been hovering over by talking about financially independence in two manners, the numbers and then the emotion, I want to continue on that thought pattern around the idea of money EQ and IQ. And this is timely for me because I was out camping in the mountains. I know you're in the mountains right now. I was in the Canadian mountains. It was wonderful for a week. And a friend of mine, he's like, hey, look at this new IQ test. It's three questions and it tells your IQ. Let's just say my IQ on this three-question IQ test didn't serve so well. It was very similar question base. But I, I just position it like that is often we think that the money IQ or our technical skills around investing, what are the best stocks, what's going to be the best cryptocurrencies to invest in, while those are there's some importance in it, can you speak to the importance that you have found with money EQ? Yeah, money EQ is called money emotional intelligence. And what it teaches you is that how healthy uh, you are with uh, money emotionally. So the most important thing is there are four principles, but one of them is the trust. If you can trust that money will follow no matter what you do, you can be more free, you can have more peace, and you can enjoy life. But the feeling that there may not be money in the future will torment you. So trusting is uh, very important, but uh, also like trusting about anything could be difficult these days. So if you learn to trust well, you get a ticket to just peace of mind. The feeling that the money worries you have mostly comes from your, your predicting the future, negative future. That means when you worry about money, you run out of money in the future, you have money trouble in the future. So you cannot have a positive future in your mind. But think about it. You know, if you have uh, no money, 
there may be somebody who can help you. I've interviewed many uh, billionaires and they lost all, everything at least three times before they achieved financial independence. So uh, you are likely to be at the state of no money, but that doesn't kill you. Worrying about no money state will kill you. So even though you lose everything, there may be somebody who can help you. The reason why I'm not afraid of money is because I know there are enough people to help me. I've written up names of my friends who can let me stay for more than a week. And I counted more than like 60 or 70. And so when I, when I run out of my money, I can go visit my friend number one and ask to let me stay for one week. And then the second week, my second friend, the third week. And uh, there are only 52 weeks in the year. So and after about 50 friends, you can come back to your friend number one and say, well, it's been a while. How are you doing? And then can I stay with you for another week? So I have achieved financial independence with my friends. So I'm not afraid of losing everything. And even if I lose everything, I have so many creative ideas to come back to financial freedom in a matter of years. So once you have this trust in you that I'll be taken care of no matter what, you can take more risks and you can take more fat attitude toward life. It really makes me think of this idea of surrender that we touched on earlier. And you had mentioned at the beginning of the recording about your work is based in minimalism and Buddhist principles. It also makes me think about the idea of impermanence, this idea of this, basically this shall pass. And I know a lot of Buddhist teachings around impermanence. Have you thought about impermanence in that our relationship with money? And basically you kind of described it there. And what made me think about it is when you said, having no money won't kill you, but worrying about money will kill you. So I guess my question is, what role, if anything, does this idea or concept of impermanence play in this cultivation of happy money? When you just bring it down to the simplest way, we are alive because we keep breathing, right? So money is like breathing. When you breathe in, like money coming in. And when we breathe out, money is leaving our life. So think about it. When you receive money, money comes into our life, and then we breathe out money. So when we breathe in air, do we worry that, oh, what if there's no air to breathe, breathe in? You know, I cannot breathe out because there, there, there's no guarantee that we can breathe in again. You know, not many people, like if, if you're psychologically healthy, you don't worry about it. And then you just do it, breathe in and breathe out. Like it's very regularly, you know, we don't try to breathe in for the next five minutes. You know, we cannot do that. Or like we don't breathe out for the next month. But with money, we try to do that. You know? We don't gulp in enough air for a month. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, think about it. We can't do that for the next three minutes. So when you about, worry about money, money come in and money go out. So life is like that. So if you just try to keep breathing, as long as you keep breathing, you're alive. So when you start worrying about something, just breathing deep and breathe out deep. And that will just really solve many of the problems. What a wonderful reframe about just our money, how it comes in and comes out relating it to breathing. Earlier, you, you talked about trust. And I really thought, I wrote it down here because I really like that. It's trust. It's the ticket to peace of mind. I trust because I'm, I'm healthy that I, my next breath will be there. 
we talked about appreciating our money, smiling at our money. Are there other ways that you have seen that we could start to build this trust that we are going to be okay in around money and have happy money? So one of the other techniques I share is arigato and arigato ao technique that is taught by my mentor, Wahe Takeda, who used to be called Warren Buffett of Japan. He was once a major shareholder of more than 100 public companies. And he said, the key to money is arigato your money. That means appreciate your money, both coming in and going out. When you receive money next time, just say thank you to the money. Thank you for coming in to my life. And when you spend it, when you pay bills, also say thank you for the money for, for staying in my life. So if you have this cycle of arigato your money, thanking your money, and then thank your money out, you can start the cycle of appreciation. And as long as you that, do that, you feel very appreciative. And then you cannot worry about money at the same time you appreciate money. You know, human mind cannot focus on two things. So what I used to say, if you become a master of appreciating about anything, you, there's no room for worrying. So when you start worrying even a bit, just start appreciating whatever you have in your life. And that is a key to eliminating a lot of worries in your life. So please have a, uh, make a habit of appreciating what you have. And then you really realize that you have more than enough. So if you worry about money, donate 10 cents or a dollar or a quarter to a cashier. You know, there's a box, always something. And then you feel like, oh, okay, I have more than enough. So if you have this feeling, I have more than enough, you know, whole thing changes instead of like, oh, I don't have anything, you know. Your answer makes me think about last week, I was in a taxi, I was mentally thinking about this conversation and the taxi driver, we were just chatting, very happy gentleman. And yeah, we just were chatting away. He's like, you know what? I'm happy. He's like, in our city, we're starting to get some homelessness. I'm not one of them. I get to bring money home for my kids. I get to pay for their food. They're going to school. Life's good. Could I be making more? Sure. But I'm, I don't know if he said happy. He's like, but I'm, I'm good. I like this. He's just, he did say I'm happy actually. And instantly I thought of you and you know, often when we have these money conversations, it's around how do I invest more? How do I make more? How do I increase my sa- or my savings, my, my, my income? While those are useful things, I feel like this more and more and more really takes us away from thanking our money, appreciating our money. And to your point, I think it's such an interesting statement is you can't worry and appreciate it at the same time. So... Thank you for that answer. Beautiful. And also being content with what you have will make you very happy. You know, in life, there are two components, following after what you love and more active, and also find peace with what you have. It's more passive. So you have to do something that just brings you closer to what you want. But at the same time, if you can find happiness and contentment with what you have, you always feel that you don't have enough. And also you act out of emptiness. That will drive you very unhappy. So you have to have this balance of going after what you want, at the same time having total peace with what you have. Especially in the Western culture, that's harder to do because you are brainwashed 
to do more, get more, give more, anything more. But real happiness comes from joy and contentment that we have already enough. If someone asked you, what is, what does enough feel like to Ken? How could, if anything at all, you answer that? So for me, like I always have more than enough. And actually I do have more than enough. You know, I have more than one house. I have more than one car. I, I have more than one friend. For me, it's like a flooded, you know, it's almost like a flood of uh, compliments and also happiness and appreciation. Wherever I go to a party, so many people show appreciation to me. I feel so loved and respected. And even at the supermarket, I, I really enjoy just being surrounded by the abundance of food, you know, which I cannot eat. You know, there is a corn, there is a beef, chicken, whatever, fruits. I cannot eat them all, right? So I just try to get something that me and my family can eat. So I feel so humble that there's always enough. So I don't think of money in terms of that. <laughs> There's so much food. I don't think I can eat them all, but I want this grapefruit. I want this, you know, this vegetable. I want this noodle. And then thank you for just to bring in all the food from somewhere. I could have done it, but it's a lot of work to negotiate and just buy it and, and bring it here. So like, I always feel like I have more than enough. Like I have this jasmine tea, and I also, this is also ginger tea. I have more than two cups. <laughs> so like I, I always feel like I have more than enough. I have more than one shirt, you know, and more than one glasses. So I have too many, actually. I have more than two phones right here. So, <laughs> And, you know, I find it fascinating that, you know, you sold a lot of books and the resources must come through, but yet this consistency in your messaging around enough or contentment seems like it obviously we change and evolve but back to that pivotal decision when you decided to stay home with your daughter way before any of this it seems to me from an outsider who has never met you you at that time kind of knew what enough was because mm -hmm. you decided to quit at 29 years old i believe it was mm -hmm. yes and also the i mean the retreat center that i bought 10 years ago I interviewed many um, spiritual leaders and teachers in the West, and I asked them, what do you regret most? And they said, I did too much traveling. You know, I didn't seek enough of my kids, enough of my wife or husband. And I thought, okay, if that is the case, I have to really think about it. If I just do more of uh, teaching and more of sharing, that means less time with my family. And then I came up with a great idea. I bought this retreat center about 11, 12 years ago. And then I put a private space so a family can stay. So while I do a seminar with 60 people from all over the country, my wife and my daughter just, you know, in the same building, they're just ready for dinner. So right after like 6.30, when we end the seminar, in 30 seconds, I can be home and then, you know, start enjoying dinner. That way I don't have to travel. Instead of me traveling, I asked my clients to travel and it worked out well. So all my life, I've been thinking what's most important in my life. And then I'll start building my life based on my belief. So anything is possible. So you have to prioritize things, what's most important in your life.
because you're going to end up regretting what you didn't have or what you, what, what you didn't do 30 years from now. What a great answer. I mentioned a time travel before. If we do have these time travel things, and who knows with technology, but if we did right now, and say you could time travel back to that decision to stay at home with your daughter, what do you think, if you could go back to that, Ken, if you thanked him for one thing, what do you think it would be? But I still would encourage me, you know, when I was younger, to travel. I'm learning a lot of English words. I was a happy camper, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was very happy writing in Japanese and doing things for Japanese people. But I didn't know at the time that the world is bigger than I thought. About four years ago, I started traveling. And then after COVID, I started traveling intensely. I, I've traveled around the world twice. And, and then I haven't done much uh, US, uh, but I've done a lot of uh, European tours and I visited many cities and started teaching. So 20 years ago, I could have done this, but I was so limited to Japan only. So I, I'm just giving you the same thing. You may be limited into only in Canada or in US or like I'm, I'm more in the East or the West or the Middle East or whatever. Uh, we are so limited because of our belief system. I don't know why I was so stuck and limited for Japan only guy. Now I'm, I'm doing a lot of international work. And then I, I realized I was so small, but not as a person, but in here. So I'll probably tell myself, you know, the world is much bigger. So don't <laughs> limit yourself. Mm. Yeah. Well, it definitely is a, a big world. When I was 23, I was fortunate enough, me and my wife, we traveled around the whole world. And it was nice. It was very, very, yeah, it was wonderful. I'm interested what kind of things you've learned from the international travel. I learned that the world is very big and <laughs> human beings are so complex on the surface, but underneath that, we all desire the same feelings to be loved, to be cared for, to be connected, to feel happy, social connection. So it was really interesting. At that time, I this is a long time ago now, I came back convinced that I was going to make a TV show based around the premise of happiness through drinking whatever tea, coffee, like across the world, everyone drinks something in the morning and then food and music. Those are like the three universals. Then they just change where you go in the world, but they all bring the same connected feelings of wow. happiness and joy. Fast forward 18 years later, I haven't done the TV show, so... Um, <laughs> Maybe one day. You will. You will, definitely. Yeah. The vision. I could, I could see it. Yeah, it's like the three, we do it across the entire world, those three things. So I'm, I'm a parent. I have two young kids. Mm -hmm. And many parents listen to this podcast. And there's this, this constant, not constant, but this, this battle that we have is do we focus on the things we love or the career? Not, maybe it's not things we love, but making money, raising kids. With your insight for the, the millions of people you've touched, your personal experience, what would you say is one important lesson that you would share with, say, you had a room full of parents on what is the fundamental principles that you feel are important for helping yourself and children understand the role money plays in our lives? So money can pull best and worst from you. So if you're doing what you do, what you love and then bring money, you're a happy person. But if you're in sacrifice and 
do something that you don't really like to bring food on the table, part of you are not happy. And kids can sense that. With your life, you're teaching your kids what life is supposed to be. You know, life is supposed to be something that you go into sacrifice to make everybody happy. If you're living that way, your kids will learn from you. So before you start thinking what you're going to teach, you have to start thinking what you want your life to be. And so one of the biggest money lessons you can teach your kids is money can be fun. To teach that, you have to have fun making money and fun spending money. So that's a big lesson because a lot of us don't do what, you, what we love. So we are not making so much fun with money. And also we are not spending money with so much fun because we feel too guilty for just spending on, on just for sake of just having fun. So if you can teach your kids, life is fun, money is fun, and that your kids will just be happy forever. So, you know, to do that, you have to live that way. That mm -hmm. is a tricky thing. Mm -hmm. It made me feel good inside as you're saying that. Because you're living that way. Yeah, and like we intentionally do fun things with our kids. Sometimes they cost next to no money. Sometimes they cost more, but we try to instill that that exploration, adventures. It costs money, but they're fun. So it makes me think about this this idea, and you talk about in your book, by visiting, like, or you said, how do we get there? And it makes me think about the idea of revisiting our money beliefs of how, what is our own relationship with money look like? How have we, if anything, done the work to recognize this is why I have a scarcity mindset? For me, I, I really realized that being a shy kid, I attached, like I didn't use my voice because I was shy, I didn't want to speak, but I started making money and people were like, oh, Sean, look at the job you have. And it made me feel good. And I attached that scarcity and falsely attached money meant power and control. It was really important for me to go back and do the work that helped me untangle those thoughts. What, was, what has been your experience, whether yourself or your teachings, on really untangling our past experiences we had with money, whether it's from a childhood or early adulthood? So uh, whatever you experience has a big impact on you. You know, you can probably imagine easily that your childhood influences you. And also, all the friends you had uh, when you're 12 or 13 or 14 had a big influence on you. And I had a bad friend who is a spender, you know, who says, you know, what good would, you, would it do if you don't spend money? He, he was like a devil, devilish guy, you know, kid. And he used to take me out for, you know, like a, a soda place. And then he treats me for hamburgers and you know, like little things that he, he just trained me to enjoy money. But I didn't have much allowance, right? So I had to struggle. But he had a limited amount of allowances. He could get any money from his parents, right? He was spoiled. So somebody like that could really influence your money blueprint. So it took me years to really get back to my, you know, my, my life. Because a friend like that, you know, fear of missing out. If you have a, a friend who loves spending and, and then very persuasive, you are heavily influenced by them. So you have to just check. I, I do a, a three-day seminar. And then during the seminar, I ask my participants to write down who influence, who are the influencers and what are the influences. 
And you'd be so amazed at uh, uh, certain kids, your buddies and uh, your uncles, your uh, sisters and brothers, uh, they influenced you so big. So you have to unlearn what you learn without knowing. Thank you for that. In your book, I don't know if I want to say unlearning, but recognizing what you learn, you share a lot what you learned about your father's experience with money. Can you share with the audience what you learned from your father and how, as you grew older, you were able to understand the impacts it was having? He started to teach me about money IQ uh, because I think he wanted me to be strong and he wanted to be to have a financially secure life. So he started teaching me about many things, mostly money IQ stuff, you know, the financial wisdom and also how to run business and uh, the pitfalls that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into. And at the same time, I witnessed his life. You know, one time when I came home from school, my father's crying like a baby. My mother took me aside and she told me that my father's best friend committed suicide. Not only committed suicide, but he killed the entire family of four and committed suicide. It's called family suicide. My father was devastated because he was preparing money for his best friend family after filing bankruptcy. Because before bankruptcy, if he keep the money, that money will go to the banks or loan sharks. But he was a Japanese traditional guy who doesn't talk much. So he didn't tell his best friend that he had the money for the for the family. And he regretted till the day he passed that he didn't tell that to his uh, best friend. So he got into depression afterward and I've seen it and what money can do. So I've seen the most beautiful things that money can do. And at the same time, the most tragic thing that money can do. So since that time, I think I was uh, nine or 10 at the time. So I realized that the, the power of money so I wanted to learn how to deal with money. Unless you become the master of money, you become a slave to money, which I've seen many adults seem to be like a slave to money. So I made up my mind to start my business when I was 20 and I achieved financial independence in nine years. So because of my father's and my mentor's teachings, but still the motivation I have or inspiration I have to do this to write, to speak, to share, is that I hope uh, you will not experience tragedies like that and you find peace and fun with money because money can be so much fun if you if you make it. But if you just don't learn uh, about money and if you don't do what you can do, if you just follow other people's footsteps or your parents' foot, footsteps, you'll be just frustrated and then you'll just be lost and you'll be confused about money. And that's not a healthy way to live. Thank you for that. And thanks for sharing the story. You're really making me think right now, earlier how we were talking about thinking or money. And it's interesting because yeah, we are all influenced by our upbringings and our childhood experiences with money. And there's some really good research and evidence that shows by unpacking that can have lots of benefits. Also, this idea of gratitude and the study of well-being really has shown the power of appreciation and gratitude. And it's interesting that even thanking your money, it extends beyond the dollars and cents. In a way, I'm thinking right now, it's like not even a, necessarily about thanking the money per se, more or less 
embracing a life of gratitude that extends beyond that dollar, which I feel like then really helps you or us to be able to use money really as that tool. Like we always hear use money as a tool to facilitate happiness. But I think when you have the foundational way of being filled with gratitude, then using fun money is a lot easier and a lot more fun. So I just, I, I really appreciate that, that framework around appreciating your money. I think maybe people would be like, oh, that's a great idea, but they don't do it. But the power of that is like, look at yourself. And I, I mean this, I, I've been practicing that and it, it, it really paid off for me. So thank you for all this wisdom you're sharing. Thank you, because I've, I've used it. And so far, everything I teach proves that it works for me and also millions of other people. And a lot of things, it doesn't cost you anything. You know, when the money comes in next time, you can say, arigato, your money, or mm-hmm. thank, thank your money, or just danke, your money, whichever the language you use, or gracias, the money. I, I tend to use a foreign language, so I love thank the money, you know, in English, mm-hmm. or danke, the money, in German. You can choose whatever the language you think it's cool. Arigato sounds pretty neat to me. Uh, yeah, for North American. Yeah. So it can be merci, money. Yeah. Well, that's our second official language here in Canada, French, uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, and this conversation, what we've just talked about now, makes me think of this idea in the book that you talk about is how we relate to money is how we relate to life. And yes. I think it's very profound. Can you explain that or expand your thinking around that? So money touches every area of our life. If you have a good relationship with the money, you can just choose the work you love. But if you have a bad relationship with money, you may take on the work that you don't like, but to bring food on the table, you might take it. And if you have a bad relationship with money, you might be angry with your partner and kids all the time. And you might have make troubles with your clients and with your friends if you don't have a good relationship with money. So, and if you have a good relationship with your friends and work and yourself, you can have good relationship with money. So it, it's like the same pattern that you have with any relationship. So if you can love money, money can love you back. And if you, have, if you love your friends, they will love you back. If you love your work, work loves you back. So feeling could be mutual. So you have to uh, start having a better relationship with money. And then you can have a better relationship with your work, friends, your loved ones and friends and, and the world. If you have a good relationship with money and if you feel like money is on your side and who can help you follow your dreams, you feel this world is so wonderful. But if you have a bad relationship with money, money could be enemy, you know, like an assassin who could take your life. You're always afraid like this world is going after you. Hmm. Money is neutral. So you can make it either way. Yes, we attach so much meaning to money. We give it so much power. I've been having a curiosity peek throughout the conversation. And you talked about how you've interviewed and spoken to many billionaires. You've talked to many people about the relationship with money. Sometimes we get the perception that maybe billionaires or very wealthy people are motivated by some lack of or they're continue to push, push to make more because maybe they're not content with money. Yet, I, I kind of heard that, you know, your, your explanation with the millionaires you've talked to or billionaires 
they've lost money three or all their money three times and so forth. What have you observed in speaking to people, say they're at the billionaire status or just plenty of money in the bank account, but what have you seen? And again, you can't generalize everyone has the same relationship with contentment, but what have you observed patterns with these individuals in around this idea? Do they feel content from your perspective? It depends on the individuals. Yes. If they have done what they loved, they're content. Mm. But if they were in the middle of money game, they have to, there are this big emptiness in their heart that they have to get more, they have to do more. And then they're driven by they have to do more. So that way they lose peace of mind. So if they're doing what they love and they feel like they have helped so many people, they're a happy person. Like my mentor Wahe, he built his empire fortune by selling cookies for, for babies and kids. You know, so he, he could go to sleep smiling after imagining how many kids that day he made, you know, he made happy. So mm. that means that he can just sleep well because he knows he's, he's made a lot of kids smile. So if your wealth is based on people's happiness, you're, you can be a happy person. But if your wealth is based on greed and just, you know, good deals and you know, lots of shady thing, you cannot be so happy. I really appreciate that answer. It, it really comes back to what we're talking about, that it's what's going on inside of here. Yeah. So when you climb a mountain, there are so many ways to climb. Happy way and sad way and a tough way. So like choose a mountain and choose a way and also choose who you're climbing with. You know, do you want to climb with the best friends or do you want to climb with the professionals? You, you pay for them. And then they work for you. You know, it's just how you want to play. I know I've brought up this music album a couple of times, but the final song on our album is called The Mountain Without a Top. Oh, (laughs) here you go. The idea that we're always striving, but we never really arrive at this promised land because we are the promised land to to a degree. So Ken, your book really talks, and when I observe your work and... I just keep thinking, probably because I'm a young father, father of young kids, is your daughter seemed to really serve as that inflection point to decide to stay at home. And thanks to your father's technical skills around money he passed along, you were able to be in a financial position to do that. How many years ago was that when your daughter, when you decided to stay home with your daughter? She's 25 now. She's 25, so, okay. So like, this is like a quarter of a century ago. Quarter, yeah. <laughs> well, and so this is a struggle that many young parents have is, how do I align my aspirations with my actions? And in this case, you did by staying home with her. She's been able to watch you, learn from you, feel your happy money. Let's say that if she was invited to say to do a talk, maybe a TED talk, and she was asked to speak about what her view of happy money would be, I know you're stepping into her shoes, which is difficult, but what do you think she would say that she learned growing up about what happy money is? Interesting. She just came back from Europe. So um, after this, you know, I'm going to have lunch with her. So I'm going to ask her personally. But I imagine that I think for for her, happy money is uh, money that gives us, buys us uh, quality time. It's because of happy money I could stay with my family it's because of happy money, I can just help so many people. 
because of happy work I did, happy money brought in, happy money was brought in. So I think my love for other people will bring in the money, bring in the work. So I think happy money comes from the love I had for humanity. And that's what I think he, he, she has seen with me. She's seen my, my work has grown from very little to so big. And she has seen every step of my way. Well, I, I try to show her that I was zero confident about doing this in English five years ago or seven years ago. And I started just looking for the steps to do something international. And so five years ago, I published Happy Money, right? Before that, I had not good English. So I studied English when I hit 50, you know. So I showed her after 50 years of age, you can start something new. So I think she's so proud of me, not for selling millions of books, but I'm always just expanding without doing sacrifice. Wow. Very, very touching. Uh, As a father myself, thinking to leave that with your children would be something special. Yeah, and we do events, by the way. We did a, a vision quest in Frankfurt in Germany. I also the one in Vancouver this March. You're doing one in Vancouver coming up? Yeah, we did in a, in a jazz, hop, jazz club in Vancouver. So well, Canada is our favorite place. So we did in Mexico and we did in Tokyo. We're going to do in Fukuoka, which is the west part of Japan. So we're doing a lot of things together. She sings, I talk. Oh, what's that like when you look over to see sharing the stage with your daughter as she's singing and you're talking? Yeah, a lot of people comment, you know, they've never seen me so happy. So they're so happy to see me happy with her. Because, I mean, think about it. How many fathers can get to trouble with a daughter and with his daughter? And she is, you know, so she respects you and she finds a great time with her dad. I mean, I'm the happiest Happiest Daddy, I think. Yeah, that's your next book, The Happiest Daddy. What I like about your story is that at times we have to be careful of what we read or listen to because this is just human nature. We Sometimes we hear people talking about certain things, but they might put down the microphone and don't live that alignment life. And you could really tell that you embody this lifestyle. And sharing the stage with your daughter is a testament to all the years that you guys spent together. So, wow, that gave me goosebumps thinking about being on stage with your daughter. Yes, I'm so happy. And she sings so well. Her stage name is Stella Venus. So you can Google her music and she sings in Japanese, English and Chinese. So I think she's going to do more global work. Wow. So I'm happy to see her grow too. Yeah. My last question I've asked everyone on the podcast, so the 150 episodes is, let's imagine now you're at end of life, whatever age that is, it is, and you're sitting on a front porch. You're looking at a view that brings you peace, ease, and contentment. Perhaps it's the mountains in Japan. It could be anywhere. But you're on the front porch and you pull out a notebook and you decide to write your children, your daughter's children, a letter on what you learned was a key to having a happy and healthy relationship with money. And we may have touched on this because your book's Happy Money, but this is the question I've asked everyone. So So I think find what you love and do it. You know, cultivate your love, then share it. I think that's the best way to live life because people respond to your love. 
So if you love music, you should do more music. If you love cooking, you should cook more. If you love writing, you should write more. Don't think about people will love it or not, because certain numbers of people will respond to it. Thank you. That's a great question. Ken, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. We will include links to your your website. I'm sure your daughter has an online presence for her music. We'll link to that. Is there anywhere else you would like people to know where your online world is or anything you'd like to include in the show notes? Thank you. So all my information is at kenhonda.com, K-E-N-H-O-N-D-A.com. And we started a community called Arigato Living Community, where people from 20 different countries get together once a month. Actually, we're having a gathering tonight by Zoom. And sometimes for North American, North, South, Central, South American time, and sometimes for European time, depending on where I am. But we, we get together once a month to learn about happy money from each other. This is so fun culturally, right? Because what they learned from, from their parents in Africa could be a little different, but very similar. So I'm always fascinated by fun, loving, and also terrible stories that we just share both. And so we heal, we laugh, and we cry and one another about our stories. So that's, that's a community I started and I, I fell in love with them. Because, and I'm also going around the world. I'm going to probably visit US and Canada sometime next year. And I'd love to meet you in person. So thank you so much. Well, that online community, I am going to join that because I love your work. And uh, if you come to North America, I will see you there. Well, Ken, thank you so much. It's been a, a pleasure. So I appreciate your time. I'm on a mountain without a top My wealth is measured and now I spend my time But now I write a freedom story With every breath inhaled Money is not the boat of life It's just the wind in the sail